Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down the grind, aka what it allegedly takes to be successful in this industry. If you'd like to suggest a new topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Breaking Out Pod or via email breaking out of breaking in pod at gmail.com. Also be sure to subscribe to our Substack. Uh, I think it's substack.breakingoutpod.com. Yeah. Perfect. I got it in one. No, it's breaking. No, I, I failed it actually. Breakingoutpod.substack.com. Oh, so Substack oh. comes second. I should have known that. I'm a fool. <laughs> I am a fool and I am sorry, everyone. But what I'm not sorry about is introducing our special guest for today's episode. We are joined by our good friend and fellow filmmaker and writer, Brandy Nicole Payne. So Brandy, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Brandy Nicole Payne. I'm a writer, filmmaker, actor, and I'm very excited to be here with you all today. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're excited to have, to have you. you. Brandy, can you tell us a little bit about like what you work on, what you do, what your recent projects have been? Sure. So I started off as an actor and have been doing theater since I was a little kid and was a theater major at a performing arts high school, was a theater major in college. And then after a brief graduation trip to New York, very quickly realized that the New York life was a little too fast for me, too fast and too cold. So (laughs) I decided to move to LA after I graduated. And um, yeah, I've been in this industry ever since. Um, And I sort of pivoted into making writing more of the priority after going on a bunch of auditions that just weren't cutting it, (laughs) that just weren't fulfilling they were very demoralizing, and I also just hated the idea of waiting to get picked. So um, so I started writing. Yeah, I feel, I feel like that's a very common story, uh, especially for performers, especially for female performers. Like, most of the women that I know that are writing and producing now started as actresses and were like, casting breakdowns are absolute garbage. I didn't want to deal that with that anymore, so I made my own work. That's exactly it. A lot of breakdowns are trash. And then the ones that are quality they're really hard to get those sorts of auditions until you already somehow are very competitive. (laughs) Yes. So Mm -hmm. I decided to create my own work. I've always written, but never thought I'd be writing like for the screen. I always thought maybe I'd write a book one day. Mm -hmm. I've started screenwriting and TV writing and started by writing short films, writing and producing those short films, and then have since started writing pilots and features and have really enjoyed (laughs) like, playing God, (laughs) you know, and get to tell the characters what they're going to do. I mean, really, they tell you, but like being able to channel that and come up with something and I'm really, really loving it. That's awesome. Do you primarily write sort of with yourself in mind, like a role or has it expanded beyond that for you now? That's a great question. And that was how it started. It did. It started with writing so that I could perform. And I thought that was going to be all the writing that I did was like, okay, fine, I'll just write my own projects that I can star in. But it's definitely expanded because now I'll have story ideas that I really don't have any interest in acting in or if I am, it's going to be a small part, but I still want to see the story get made. I will say thus far, I mean, and it will probably continue, to be honest, all of my pieces have a woman of color at the center, usually black women, sometimes other women of color. I 
may one day write something about a white woman that's doubtful but it could happen we don't need it i'm definitely not writing about this we frankly as the token white woman on this podcast i think i can confidently say we don't need more white women's stories (laughs) and you know who knows there there may be you know i may write something that if i sell it and i don't um i'm not able to get a producing credit on it that casting could always decided to turn that into a story that that centers a white woman but um certainly my goal is to tell more stories that center women of color and show us in ways that we don't always get to see ourselves whether that be stories where we're powerful or stories where we are complex and you know you see the underbelly but either way you know my goal is just that they that it's three-dimensional and not just one note Totally. Yeah. That I think is something that we absolutely need more of. And it luckily sounds like you're more and more in a position to make that happen. But before we get into that, Brandy, <laughs> uh, something that we talk about with all of our guests and that we try to be honest about ourselves is the sort of money aspect of all of it. And so this will probably come up a lot of times over the course of this conversation. But do you mind telling everyone how you currently make your living, how you're supporting yourself pursuing all of these various creative pursuits, be it acting, writing, producing, etc.? Yeah, cutting to the heart of the matter, <laughs> which is, <laughs> is needed because... <sighs> Because it's hard out here for a pimp. So I used to work. People are so rarely honest about it. Yes, that's very true. Um, I used to work uh, for Stephen Spark, which is where I met the two of you wonderful ladies. And (laughs) I guess I should actually even go before that. Like when I first got into this industry, I quit a job. I was living in Las Vegas and I was an event manager at the Hard Rock Hotel And I was at that job for six months. I had had previous wedding and event planning experience, but this was my first like corporate job. And I had like, (laughs) I had benefits, like an excellent benefits package, great salary, great bonuses. And I was like, this is not what I want to do. I really want to go to LA. And so I remember I quit that job and my grandfather, who has always been more like my father, calling me and being like, I think you should call them and tell them you made a mistake. (laughs) This is a real, this is a good job. And I hated to disappoint him, but I was like, Papa, I'm sorry, but I'm not happy. I enjoy, I love events, Mm. but I'm, I don't want to make my living doing this. That's not what I went to school for. This is just not what I want to do. And so when we moved to LA, we lived with my grandmother. And when I say we, it was me, my husband at the time, we had two kids. We all lived in one bedroom. She had a house. She only had one extra bedroom. So all of us lived in that room for nine months. It was hell. Not because my grandma, she was great. She was actually super graceful and I cannot wait to like repay her back one day. But, um, (laughs) but it was four of us in one room because this was my dream and my credit was bad. So like trying to get approved for an apartment, even though I had the money was hard and like we kept finding stuff that was in just gang infested areas. And I was like, I got two sons, that's not going to work. And so finally we found a place on a street in Inglewood that was safe. And it was a bunch of black folks, which for me felt great. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And it was like right down the street from Ladera Heights, which if you don't know, is like a big part of black Hollywood or I wouldn't even say black Hollywood, but black successful upper class people live there. And so we lived there for almost seven years. We lived in that same apartment for almost seven years. Oh, wow. And during that time I was a waiter 
I was a nighttime transcriptionist, meaning I would go into work at 7 p.m. and get off at 4 a.m. working downtown, which was really hard, but it kept my days open to be able to audition. I eventually was a part-time event manager for this boat charter. <laughs> I <laughs> then opened my own business and became a cookie decorator and cupcake baker. And I did that from home. And that really became like the sustaining thing for a very long time. And I had a lot of clients, including like a lot of production companies that would order from me. And that helped me pay for writing classes and acting classes because those joints are very expensive, honestly, ridiculously expensive for anyone who's trying to mm -hmm. better themselves. And they did help me, but like, I didn't buy things for myself. Those were the things that I bought. Like, <laughs> you know, I bought stuff for my kids, but like I wore the same clothes. I didn't, yeah, it was a sacrifice to say the least. And then we decided to move to Atlanta because we had a third kid and trying to move into an apartment with three bedrooms was ridiculous. I mean, not as ridiculous as New York. So, you know, I don't know how y'all do it. <laughs> we don't have three kids. Well, we don't okay. have any kids. Yeah. So I was like, okay, <laughs> if I'm moving from a two bedroom to a three bedroom and like the least expensive apartment that I could find that's not a shack or in again, a gang or violence ridden neighborhood is somewhere around the $2,500 a month thing. I could not afford mm -hmm. to do that. My husband does not work in the industry. So he has a stable like middle-class job, but even with the money that I was pulling in as a small business owner, it just wasn't enough. So we made the decision to move to Atlanta, stayed with another grandmother. See, it takes a village off. <laughs> so grandmama's coming through. And so we stayed with another grandmother. Um, thankfully, she had a big house. And so we all had our own rooms and it was a lot more comfortable this time around. And I was unemployed for a while. And so in Atlanta, my husband and I were both unemployed when we first moved there. And again, we were only able to do that because we had my grandmother's sort of security blanket. But he ended up getting a job with the city of Atlanta. And I tried to restart my bakery business, but it was really hard to get clients in a new place. And so I sort of had that on the side, but I eventually got another like corporate job that I stayed in for maybe seven or eight months or so before realizing that like, oh no, I don't want to work here. <laughs> and so then I ended up getting a regular job at a bakery. So I had a part-time job at a bakery where I'd have to like wake up at 4.30 to get there by 5.36 a.m. because we baked freshly every morning. And then I was writing during the day and at night. And then I ended up working at Seed and Spark. And that honestly was like the first job where I didn't have to have multiple jobs to pay the bills. I just had the one job <laughs> at Seed and Spark. And because it was remote and I could, for the most part, create my own schedule, it actually like it really worked for our family and for my artistic needs. And so for two years, it was the longest job working for someone else I've ever had. <laughs> but for two years, I worked that job and I got to meet the two of you, which I'm super thankful for. And <laughs> that is how I supported myself for a while. And it wasn't until about a month or so ago that um, I still had that job. And the only reason why I left Seed Spark well, I won't say the only reason, but the main reason why I left is because I got an offer to be a writer's assistant. And it was a leap because when you're working in a writer's room in whatever capacity, it's only for a limited number of weeks. And when you're done, you're done and there's no guarantee. And so right now, which we'll get into in a moment, 
I am on unemployment and I'm unemployed and it's a little scary, but it was absolutely the right move. So that was my long-winded way of saying that you do what you have to do <laughs> to make money. Um, I am finally starting to come into some like real money in this industry, but it has taken over 10 years for me to get here. Wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the stories that we need to tell because I think that's true for most people except for like the two or three like white male savants that there are <laughs> who then it turns out have like rich parents or, you know, huge connections in the industry. Yep. So mm-hmm. are they a success story or did they just get extremely lucky and are a little bit talented? Exactly. That can be a whole other podcast exactly. episode. But Brandy, something I was curious about from the story that you just told us was, did you ever consider trying to find a full-time like career style gig or were you always prioritizing you know being able to be flexible and being able to create your own schedule like was it ever a consideration to just quote unquote settle down in a long-term gig was that ever the plan not until we moved to atlanta and it got to the point of like okay we're in a cheaper location than la and are still kind of struggling right now. So I've got to figure out something. And that was why I ended up getting that job that was a full-time job. I honestly wouldn't have even still made that choice if I didn't have kids, but it was like, okay, I have kids and there are things that Mm -hmm. they need for their well-being that like I have to put my needs or my wants, my artistic wants aside to make sure that they're covered. But even with that, that gig, I specifically applied for it because in the Craigslist ad, it said, we love creatives. We want you to still pursue your creative intent. And so as much as I ended up hating that place when I left, when I first started working there, they allowed me to still, like I could still fly to LA for opportunities as needed. And I was able to sort of work things flexibly. I don't think I would have ever like, you know, sometimes you see job ads that are like, you need to be the one who's flexible. (laughs) They won't be flexible. Like those, I avoided Mm -hmm. those at all costs just because I understood that like, I can't be miserable. I I just refuse to be miserable. Like I can't do it. I Mm -hmm. cannot do it. I will quit a job I would quit a job the same day. Like I I remember working at Chili's for all of like two shifts and then I got a commercial audition. They wouldn't let me out. And I was like deuces. And I had a kid at the time and I was a single mom at the time. I don't care. That reminds me a lot of my mom because I grew up with a single mom. I know she quit McDonald's the day she started (laughs) when I was a baby. That was because she needed to like do something related to us, me and my brother, and they wouldn't let her leave. She has a very similar attitude. Even though we grew up struggling, she was always kind of like, there's no point in being miserable. Totally. Yeah, I I think that capitalism has a way of tricking us into thinking that, you know, you just take whatever you can get and you should be grateful for it. Yep. And I would definitely consider myself someone who is still unlearning that, that like I should be grateful that someone is paying me because like I'm still relatively young. I'm going to turn 29 when everyone's listening to this in like a week or two. But like I have worked a lot and I have a lot of granted soft skills, but you know, I'm a talented writer, speaker, organizer, and I can get a bad job. I've worked plenty of bad jobs, but I do still find myself every time somebody like offers me something that is even a little bit of money attached. I'm like, yes, thank you. And I'll just say yes, because I'm so terrified (laughs) of like when that dries up. But yeah, thank you so much, Brandy, for kind of giving us the adventure through your various side hustles. Truly like 
queen of grind culture, but also somehow queen of boundaries. And we will definitely get into your specific advice around that because I personally need it. I'm looking down the barrel of a 2021 with five jobs and I'm losing my mind. But we'll get to that later because you have a much more exciting thing to talk about, which is your recent experience in a writer's room. So can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and anything that you've learned getting that gig and kind of moving forward? Sure, yes. So I did the HBO Writers Program in 2017-2018 and thought that I was going to be staffed immediately after and that absolutely did not happen, which was <laughs> terribly disappointing. Did they give you a lot of meetings and they just didn't go anywhere? Like, no. Did other people from that program get staffed? Well, we had 12 writers and we had we had one writer's team get staffed and we had one individual writer get staffed. The writer's team got staffed right away. The individual writer went from our program to the ABC writer's program, and then that program staffed her. Got it. So what I learned was as much as I loved my writing program and the things that I learned, it really was more about development than staffing. Like it helped me Mm -hmm. develop a sample that is the sample that actually got me into the guild, which is super exciting, but it's not a program that generally gets their writers staffed. So I say all that to say, um, I finished that in 2018 and was trying to get meetings, trying to get meetings. And it just, I would get mostly generals, but not a lot of showrunner meetings. And so people had asked me, would I ever go the assistant route? But because I have children and assistant pay is crappy, number one, but then number two, even more important is that the hours are so long. Like you could literally work 10 to 12 hours, which just does not work for me and the amount of time that I want to stay with my kids. Sure. Can I ask real quick, mm-hmm. did you have representation or did you get representation from being part of the HBO program or anything like that? Sure. So I did and do have a manager, mm-hmm. which <laughs> kind of came from being a part of the program. Basically, I went to the Austin Film Festival in 2016. I met an AMC executive there. And when I got into the HBO program, I emailed her and said, hey, I'm going to be in L.A. for this week for this program. Can we have coffee? When we had coffee, I showed her my list of managers. It was about 10 managers that I wanted to reach out to to get her thoughts. And I basically said, when these managers call you, do you pick up the phone? Are you excited to read their client's work? And and there were some big time management companies on there. And she was like, oh, no, they just throw spaghetti at the wall. No. Um, And so she basically gave me the advice that it's not about the company. It's about the actual individual manager and how excited they are about you. Though also, yes, you want them to have some cachet so that if they're calling, they can actually, you know, they have some clout (laughs) to actually have their calls go through. So she recommended five managers to me. I reached out to those managers of those five. Two of them, I never heard back. Three of them wanted to meet with me. And then from there, I ended up with the managers that I felt like this is a really great fit. So by the time I finished the program, I had these two managers with good fear that I love, Jake and David. And so they have been hustling to get me meetings. But I will say I'm learning that staffing is more of an agent's game. You know, managers are really Mm -hmm. there to help you develop, develop and like hone in on your voice. And my managers have been incredible in that respect and I'm seeing my writing improve but in terms of like going after staffing gigs at the right time because timing is everything agents they have their ear to the ground more so I did not and still do not have an agent 
Is that something managers can help you get? Yes, they can definitely introduce you to agents. And when they first sign me, that is something they try to do, but not to much success. And we very quickly realize that like, I need to have something shiny. I need to have one shiny thing because the program is already over now. And so usually that means getting your first job on your own and then agents are more interested or sell. Fast forward to this year after the George Floyd murder and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, with all the civil unrest, you have these companies who are now looking at themselves and like, oh, there's racism all of a sudden. <laughs> and so there was this push to read more black writers and writers of color in general. And so um, I got a lot of uh, Zoom meetings as a result, um, which I, you know, I am thankful for. I just hate that it took that to mm -hmm. sort of get this push going. But there was this initiative called hashtag raise the percentage. And that came from the fact that I believe the percentage of black TV and screenwriters is like 4%, which is just abysmal. And so it was called raise the percentage where you could schedule a virtual coffee with a working writer. I chose Jennifer Paticio, who was the showrunner of this upcoming show called Happy Face, which is based on the Happy Face podcast which is based on the Happy Face serial killer. And the reason why I chose her is because I had submitted to her show to try to be a staff writer. She downloaded my materials, but I didn't get a meeting. And I wanted to know what could I do to get better. And we met, it was super affirming. And she let me know that I was close, close, but no cigar. And she gave me really great advice on like how to make my work stronger. I will say she did say that like, my work is fine as a staff writer. She was like, you're actually where you need to be as a staff writer. It's just so many people trying to sure. get that one mm -hmm. staff writer slot. And some rooms don't even have a staff writer slot at all. So it's a numbers game. But I told her how I had almost submitted for the writer's assistant gig, but because of the pay and the hours, I didn't. And a few weeks later, she reached out to me and she said her current writer's assistant was probably going to be staffed. And so she would love to offer the job to me if I was interested. And she was like, I know the pay sucks, but the hours can be really flexible. And I know you're in Memphis and we're in LA, but it's over Zoom. So like, this might be a good chance for you. And I was like, absolutely. I took the gig. It was supposed to only be for four weeks. And so during those four weeks, I juggled two jobs. However, at the end of that four weeks, she basically told me that the writer's assistant who was supposed to come back got hired to write this Disney movie. <laughs> and so she wasn't going to be coming back. And, you know, did I want to stay on? And so I agreed. And at that point, I had a choice to make. If I stay on, then I have to give up my day job, which was hard to give up that money that's coming in every two weeks. But it was time. Yeah. So I left my day job to stick it out with this. And I knew that like, okay, this job is going to be ending in like another eight weeks or so. And that's where I'm at now where I'm on unemployment. But before I get to that, I will say that it ended up being the right decision because she offered myself and the former writer's assistant an episode to split, which was huge. So we got an episode out that's of awesome. it. And I'm very excited and can't wait if the show gets picked up or to air. If it gets picked up, what episode is yours? We would be episode eight out of 10. Ooh. Yeah. So, so super exciting. I will say, you know, when we had to write the outline, that's the first step is you have to write the outline and then you go on a script. Like starting the outline, imposter syndrome honestly doesn't usually happen to me. And I think it's because mm -hmm. I'm always writing for myself. So, you know, it's just what I want to say. Mm-hmm. 
But this, where I had to write for someone else and I'm trying to get her voice, but still put my own spin on it. I was hit with like the worst case of imposter syndrome I've ever had. I had two days where I just stared at the blank page and I was like, oh, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I can only like write my own little short films because every time I tried to start a line of dialogue, it was trash and it was hard. <laughs> I, that was the first time ever where I was just like, I don't know what's going on and she's going to fire me. <laughs> and the only way I was able to get out of that was by admitting to myself that this first draft is just gonna be trash. It just has to be mm. trash. You know, it just has to be. Just get something on the page, let it be trash, and then we're gonna go back and we're just gonna go scene by scene until I get it to a point where I like. And by the time it was time to turn it in, we loved it. Me and my co-writer loved it. And that was another thing. We were both a little nervous because I've co-written one thing before, she had never co-written before, and we were not, you know, friends. We didn't know each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we had to co-write this together as a team. And thankfully, we both upheld our ends of the bargain, and we both stuck to the deadlines, and we both gave it our best shot, and we tweaked each other's words without hard feelings, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> we both felt like the tweaks that each other made actually elevated the material. And I will say, when we turned it in to our boss, it was so funny because she sent us an email that was like, you guys did an excellent job. There's actually only a few minor things that I need to tweak. So instead of having you guys do it, I'm just going to do it. I really cannot stress enough how great of a job it is. I bring that up not to just toot my own horn, but to say that then when I saw the changes she made, my mind was like, well, did she really like it? Because there were a lot of changes. Like the scenes were still, they started and ended where they needed to but it was written in her voice and mm -hmm. it showed me that like, oh, this is, I mean, you're going to be rewritten and you just have to like get over the fact that like, yes, you put your spin on it, but it still has to go through the machine of the showrunner. That was a good lesson because it was jarring to read her take on what we had written. It was still good. It was just in a different voice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been an incredible, incredible learning experience and I just want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I am curious, though, um, before all of this, when you were taking meetings in L.A., were you just flying yourself there? Was that all sort of self-funded? Oh, yes, it was. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was credit card funded is what it was, you know, because I had said earlier how like my credit was bad. And I because I had had those various jobs, I was able to get my credit to a point where it was good. And so the reason actually why I got the credit cards was because I was making my second short film. And I think I raised $12,000 in crowdfunding money, but the budget was closer to 20. So mm. I used credit cards and my job that um, full time job in Atlanta to cover the gap. And so, um, so I had these credit cards. And so then at that point it was like, okay, I've done this HBO program. I finished this other short film. And like, I, I, you know, we were not in a zoom world then zoom existed, but people were not trying to hear that because it was pre pandemic time. So right. if I wanted to meet people, I had to fly on my own dime and I was going to LA probably three to four times a year. And most of it was self-funded. And there were a couple of times where my day job funded it because I had to go to LA to do day job work. And then I would self-fund the extension of staying there another two, three days to do my own filmmaking type stuff before coming home. So yeah, that definitely put me into a huh, credit card hole that mm -hmm. I have only been able 
to come out of once I had a sale that got me into the guild and the money that I got from that, I was able to pay off my credit card. Wow. Obviously, 2021 is probably going to look pretty similar to 2020 from sort of a Zoom perspective. But do you think that moving forward, it'll be the way it is now where you could kind of work remotely in in writers rooms? And would you want to would be my follow up question. I'll actually answer that one first. What I want to, absolutely, I would want to because of the fact that I've kind of accepted that my family's going to be here in Memphis. Mm. Memphis is a great place, but it's really a big town. (laughs) And I'm a city girl. (laughs) You know, like New York is a little too fast for me to live. I love to visit it. And, And Memphis is way too slow. Honestly, Atlanta and LA are really more of my speed. And so I've sort of realized that like, okay, Atlanta's probably gonna be my home base at some point again, because LA, as much as I love it and do want to get back to it, I just can't do it until I am like a mid level writer. Sure. Because now I have this lifestyle that I, I'm not downsizing again. I'm not going back to eating beans and rice. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely not going back to like living in a small space. I'm not doing that. I am enjoying mm-hmm. this and I would rather just fly back and forth. So I say all that to say, yes, I do think that moving forward, we will continue to have more Zoom rooms. I don't think that that's going to be full time. I think that will be, I think we're going to have more hybrids. So I do think I will have to be by coastal in order to be a TV writer, which is what I primarily want to do, even though I do enjoy writing features, TV writing, I really, really enjoy the collaborative process. Mm-hmm. But I do think I'll be able to take a lot more meetings now via Zoom. I think that's going to be completely changed. And now, instead of having to like go out there to go to someone's office in Santa Monica, I do think my managers are going to be able to say, hey, can we just schedule a Zoom? And I think people will be like, yeah, no problem, because that is what we've been doing. And it saves people gas and time. And yeah, so I think it's going to be a mix. That makes sense. Yeah, I hope so. I, yeah, yeah, I hope both so. Well. Hope <laughs> <Yes>. so, too. <laughs> So, Brandy, I really quickly want to jump on something that you mentioned as you were talking. You use the phrase, it's a numbers game. And I think that's an important one to kind of come back to on the thesis of grind culture, because I think that's where a lot of entertainment grind culture comes from, Mm -hmm. is that you kind of just have to do everything until something works. And I think that that is where a lot of the sort of toxic work culture comes in, because like, if something hasn't worked yet, it just means you haven't done enough things. And so I'm curious for you and Christina, because now Christina is out in the manager game in the TV writing world and both of you are like making active moves towards that part of your career. So I'm curious, what keeps you from going absolutely mental in (laughs) terms of like, I need to write a version of every kind of genre. I need to like have 18 different samples. I need to go out for every job. Like how are you centering yourself in the world where the reality is it's a numbers game and not letting your life be consumed by said numbers? Oh man, that's a great question. (sighs) And it's hard. Um, So first, I'll answer that by starting off with, with being the assistant in this room, I had a virtual coffee with the staff writer, Adam Tulsitz, who said something to me that has stuck with me, which is that trying to staff is like winning the lotto, because they will get 500, 600 submissions. And again, you have rooms that don't even have one staff writer slot. But if you're lucky enough to find one, it's usually just the one. And so his advice to me was get as many tickets as you can, whether it's taking an assistant job, whether applying to fellowships, whether they're diversity fellowships or not, creating your own content, networking as much as possible. You need to have as many tickets as possible. 
I do agree with that. That said, this industry, you can sometimes feel like you are on a hamster wheel and you are mm-hmm. spending all of your energy and getting absolutely nowhere. And mm-hmm. I felt that so strongly when I lived in LA. And I have to say now moving to Atlanta and now definitely even more so living in Memphis, the beauty of being outside of the bubble is that I don't feel that pressure. Every once in a while it'll creep up on me, don't get me wrong, but for the most part, I see life happening around me that has nothing to do with the industry and that grounds me and that gives me some clear perspective that, yes, this is what I want to do and I love it and I'm working really hard at it, but there is more to life than just this, number one. And number two, this can't be my sole focus because it will drive you crazy because there's so much of this that you just cannot control. Mm-hmm. And like, even though writing doesn't have as much of being picked as acting, nowhere near as much, still, if you want to stab, you're still trying to get chosen. And right. you know that is a frustrating position to be in. And so I definitely try to focus on other things. I will say I had a moment recently where I was trying to get staffed on the show that I felt like I was a really good fit for and couldn't get a staffing meeting. My husband actually knows the creator from high school. Oh, wow. Still couldn't get a meeting with her that way. My manager was trying to get me a meeting through through the network. We're still waiting on a response there. And so then the writer's assistant job for this room opened up and I submitted for that, didn't hear back, then heard from a friend that like she had a friend who got an interview for the writer's assistant, but they passed on her because they wanted someone with experience. And I'm like, I'm here with experience. <laughs> and so I almost emailed them again to follow up to be like, hey, I am so interested. But I had to stop myself and be like, wait a second, Brandy, first of all, yes, you will take another writer's assistant gig. But your showrunner has made it very clear. We did a post-room Zoom where she basically talked about my strengths and how she wants to help me and how, like, yes, she recommends me getting another writer's assistant gig, but I am very, very ready to staff and she's going to do everything she can to help me. So I was like, why are you doing all this to get chosen as an assistant when you really want to write? You're on unemployment right now, so your basic Mm -hmm. needs are being met. You need to chill out. You need Mm -hmm. to chill out. And relax. So I did. So I didn't submit the email and I was like, you know what, for whatever reason, this room is not for me at this time. The next day I was like, okay, moving on to the next thing. And that is a muscle that you have to develop. And I'm not saying that it's easy to do so, but for me anyway, not living in that bubble constantly where I'm always surrounded by people who are already at the level that I'm trying to be on has helped me tremendously to be like, there's so much more to life than just this. Yeah. I feel like I've really grown that muscle during COVID in particular (laughs) because I've done so much sort of evaluating of what I really want and what I want to do with my life and what I want my life to be like on a daily basis. As I've been pursuing some stuff recently, I've had to really step back and say like, do I actually want this because I want this or do I want this because it's going to feel validating because it's going Mm. to make me appear like I've gotten the thing or I've gotten picked or that I'm good enough or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just like really being honest with myself and asking that question has really helped. And I also like to say for me, especially because I do have a spouse who makes very good income right now, I do have a certain freedom that I definitely didn't feel just a couple of years ago. And so I think that it's like, it is definitely a muscle, but it also, like having some level of security helps make it actually happen. So that comes with some privilege on my end. 
that's a very good point. And I, I will say for me, my husband is a teacher. So, you know, he makes a teacher's income, which is not bad, but it also, they should be paid a lot more. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But what I will say, the privilege that I have is a hindrance in some ways, but it's the fact that I live in Memphis. And so my rent right now is like $1,300 for the house, you know, oh that we're God. renting. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I lived in LA, I would have absolutely sent that email <laughs> because you know, I'd have been like, I need a job. I need a job. I need a job. Right. But here I can be like, okay, I'm on unemployment. And that covers me. I am good. And again, we also have two incomes here, so we're okay. But if you're in a place where rent is is ridiculous, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you kind of take what you can get. Yeah. As you're talking, Brandy, I'm in the middle of moving to LA right now. We're, we're taking the first half of our crap to Colorado soon. And like I have an apartments.com tab open, like looking for LA apartments. And then I also have like a Zillow account open just to like see what the housing prices are in like an Oregon or a Colorado. And like, I basically, I look at LA and I'm like, wow, this is expensive and it's not very much space. And then I'll go to somewhere else. And I'm like, wow, what if I did that instead? But like for me, even hearing you talk about, you know, all the opportunities that you've gotten weirdly as a result of everything being shut down, I don't know if I have enough connections yet to be able to live externally. And currently I do not have a specific reason to live elsewhere. You know, I don't have kids that I want to send to like a better school system. I don't need a ton of space. I feel like I'm in the position right now where, If I move to L.A. at any point, it will be now. But certainly L.A. is not endgame for me. Like my ideal world is something closer to what you're living right now, Brandy, is living somewhere else where you can afford space (laughs) and be outside Mm -hmm. of the crazy bubble of everyone. Because like certainly during grad school, I feel like was the worst time for me in some ways because everyone's around you like constantly like, hey, we should work on a new thing. Hey, we should work on a new thing. And I was one of the few people in grad school who had a full time job while going to grad school. So like all of these other motherfuckers who either A, took out student loans to pay for like their housing or the people whose parents were just funding everything. And then there was like me and maybe one other person who were actively working because we chose not to take out that many student loans. We just didn't get to be a part of anything. So there's a ton of work that I didn't get to be a part of because the people who had the privilege to sort of experiment during that time had that space and I didn't and I remember feeling the pressure of like shit should I stay out until 4am even though I have a a 5am shift Mm -hmm. is that what it's gonna take and I also really relate Christina to something you were saying about really evaluating what your priorities are because this is also something that happened right afterwards which is I kept taking these producing jobs like people would come to me because they'd seen that I'd made a lot of web series stuff in the web series community and be like hey do you want to produce my web series I need a producer and you know we've talked about before that producer in web series is just like code for money and or someone to do the boring work. (laughs) And because I was terrified of missing out and I wanted to make as many connections as possible, I kept saying yes. And finally I had this conversation with someone who was like, do you want to be a producer? Because you're doing a lot of producing. And I was like, oh God, no, producing is terrible. And she was like, well, then why are you producing so often? And I was like, that is a goddamn good question. I know the answer. The answer is fear. And I still haven't been able to shake that. And I don't know how you do because... It's a numbers game, you know, who knows where one shitty job will take you, even if the job continues to be shitty, right? Right. But I think you just kind of answered your own question because you said the answer is fear. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've found that when I make fear-based decisions, they don't lead to good things. (laughs) Like when I accepted this writer's assistant gig, even though I was unsure, it wasn't because I was scared that I would be losing out on something. It was because... 
I was like, oh my God, I get to learn from actual writers. I get to be in the room where mm-hmm. it happens. This is exciting. I was really excited about this job. So it wasn't a fear thing. Whereas with the most recent writer's assistant gig that I was trying to get, the only reason why I was even thinking about emailing them a follow-up email was because of fear. It was because if this passes me up, I don't know when another room that kind of fits me is going to come my way. And that's why when I had to stop myself and say, wait a second, do I actually want this? No, not if I'm an actual writer, if I'm just the assistant. In this case, no, I don't. I would take it. I'd absolutely take it. But do I actually want it? No. So why would I be applying for it? Because I'm scared. Oh, the no. The Mm -hmm. no. That was also why I knew it was time for me to leave my day job. Because did I want to continue working there? No. But what was stopping me? Fear. (laughs) Fear that like, oh, but I won't have an income. Oh, well, then it's time to go. If that's the only thing keeping me here, it's time to go. And when you don't have a safety net, that is hard. And so that sometimes people do have to do things out of fear because they are caretakers, whether it's to their children or to their spouse or to their parents. Sometimes you have to. I do understand that not everyone has the same choices. I want to be very clear about that. But someone in your case, like you mentioned, you don't have any kids. And Mm -hmm. thankfully, right now, you don't have any parents that you have to take care of. So really, that's why I kind of harp on you. Like, why are you doing (laughs) You don't have to do this. Another train will come. Another opportunity will come. And honestly, I think we shoot ourselves in the foot when we take opportunities that we don't really want because then we're unavailable for the things that we do want. And so- that's how I look at things. And again, it's it's not easy to get there, especially in this industry. But I just feel like there's so much content. There are so many opportunities. Doing anything out of fear will not serve you well in the long run. Yeah, that's great advice, <laughs> as always. It, totally. Something also, I recently got management, and maybe I'll talk about that in a future episode. But I set November aside to just like work on my samples and write and and really focus on the craft of what I want to be doing. And I've had a few calls with my manager and something she keeps reminding me of is that like, that's all work. (laughs) And just because no one's paying me for it, that is like planting seeds, right? And that's the whole point. I want to be doing this for a living. And so I need to like retrain myself to not think of it as something I do like in the middle of the night when I I have the time because I'm not I'm not conflicting with what pays my bills, but rather like it is the thing that I focus on. And so I think like that has been helpful to me and maybe it's finding a person who can be that for you, even if it's not like a manager, but just someone who kind of reinforces that. That like Brandy said, being available for things is part of what actually like gets you to move forward. And so if you're just consuming yourself with things you don't want to do, then you're not focusing your energy on the things that you do actually want to expand on. I mean, it's true. It's 100% true. And it's it's never been truer than 2020, the year where everyone has all this time to write King Lear. And yet I have worked <laughs> more hours than literally any year of my life. And like, I understand what an absolute honking privilege that is. You know, I'm ending 2020 in a better financial place than I started. Not by much given, you know, the 20% salary decrease that I'm still on at my day job. But I have four jobs right now three teaching um agree hard agree brandy that teachers should get paid more and maybe i'll talk about that in the future but like adjuncting is a scam i am getting (laughs) scammed whatever but like the problem is is that now i basically don't take days off i've had two days off in the past 
three months. And before that, I had maybe two to three days off in like six months. And when I say days off, it's because I'm also factoring in recording sessions for this podcast, Mm -hmm. planning sessions for this podcast, recording sessions for my other podcast that comes out weekly because I'm insane, (laughs) shooting a, a web series episode that I made, doing like prep work for other things. Like I haven't written basically all year. I wrote a little bit at the very beginning of the pandemic, but then all of my other jobs started picking up. And so like, I am the midnight writer, like, oh God, I better write this one scene. Otherwise I'll never do it. But at this point, I don't even do that. I'm too exhausted by my various day jobs that all of these quote unquote opportunities that I could possibly be, you know, starting with all this stuff that I'm constantly like, freaking myself out over like why aren't you working right now it isn't even work that I want to be doing Mm -hmm. you know like I love making the podcast this is something that I would make time for but like there are so many things and day jobs and things like that that I'm working on and I'm constantly panicking about I'm you know checking my seed and spark inbox before starting this recording even though it's a Sunday I don't need to be looking at that but because I'm just like constantly plaguing myself with work for work's sake because if I feel busy then I'll stop feeling out of control but like the key I think is staying busy on things that you actually want to be doing. I don't want to be checking my seed and spark inbox for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. That's not the thing that I, you know, learned how to write to do. So what am I doing? And I've somehow managed to like take everything I think to the next level where there's the toxic work culture of you have to be creative constantly, but hey, you have to have a life and put that in perspective. But I've now taken that one step further, which is if you can't be creating professionally, then you have to be doing other things professionally 100% of your time. Otherwise, you're a lazy piece of shit. And why haven't you got anywhere with your artistic career? (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not even a lazy piece of shit because I'm not writing. I like, that's not enough. I have to also be a lazy piece of shit because I'm not working as hard as I possibly can at my for essentially side hustle jobs that I'm mm-hmm. doing so that I can afford to write, but I can't afford to write time or otherwise because I'm working so much. And it's just sort of this endless cycle. And I imagine I'm not the only one out there who's doing this to themselves. Yeah. And it is so hard to reset your priorities. It is, but it's very clear you've internalized capitalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, oh, absolutely. You know, you internalized it. Like, so you're already in the mindset of where they need you to be to be able to take advantage of you. You're seeing yourself mm-hmm. as a commodity and you're referring to yourself as lazy when you have more than one damn job. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that, you know, that, you know, listen, therapy, life coaching, <laughs> but I, you know, I mean, we're joking, but I'm so serious. Like these things mm-hmm. can help you to, to stop it. Um, mm-hmm. For me, what has helped it is working in different environments and being treated in different ways and realizing that like, oh, I'm a number to these people. So mm-hmm. I'm going to put my mental health and emotional health. That's going to be the priority because if I drop dead from anxiety and panic and heart attacks from the stress of all this, then my family loses out. And this job is not about to send them a big check <laughs> because they're the reason that I'm feeling this way. No. So I, no, uh-uh. it's, it's at some point you got to, you got to let that go. Got to let it go. Yeah. It's not worth it. That sort of grind culture. It's unhealthy. Sleep is needed. Don't get me wrong. I hustle hard and I do grind. But I don't grind to the point that I grind myself to the bone. That is not healthy. That is unsustainable. And that, frankly, does not lead to you doing your best work. Like, if if you have to do that, your work suffers because you're not rested. You are... You're just not your best self. And I want to be able to, I want to, I want to have the energy, both um, physically and artistically, to pour myself into my work 
in a way that like when I'm really in it and I'm in the zone, it feels wonderful. And I can't do that if I am so tired because I'm trying to make money in seven different areas when I don't have to. I do understand, again, if someone has to because they're trying to make their ends meet. But I will also Mm -hmm. say during those periods, at least for me, that's when I am the least productive for my artistic life because I'm trying to make totally so like there's a season for that if you're able to dig yourself out of the hole and carve out artistic time you've got to protect that you've got to protect it it's important yeah yeah that's the key I think also Brie because I wouldn't say that I've internalized it quite to that extent I think I have gotten very good at saying no to things but definitely what we have in common is this like need to always be doing something and like feeling Mm -hmm. like I'm being productive but how I kind of am getting to the other side of that is by even if I know to some degree I'm lying to myself I also know that I'm telling myself the truth when I'm like just sitting on my couch watching something it's like yes I'm doing this leisurely and I'm just enjoying my time on my couch watching something but I'm also like exercising my creative muscle because like Mm -hmm. what I want to do creatively is make this right like what I'm watching and so it's a little bit for me anyway of like telling myself that everything I choose to do just for enjoyment like the few times when I choose to do that with my time it's also Mm -hmm. being productive because it is like giving me more inspiration even if it's just going to kind of get like put away in my pocket and not something I'm consciously studying at that moment that's at least something that I've been trying to incorporate more into my habits so that I don't feel like I need to be doing something while I'm also watching TV or whatever sure. the case may be. I agree. Yeah. And also, obviously, the complicating factor of all of this is COVID. Like, I, now that it's near the end of the year when we're recording this, at least, I have been looking back at, like, New Year's resolutions stuff. And, like, the number one New Year's resolution for this year for me was going to be take two actual vacations where I don't work. And uh, there's, like, a note on that resolution that's like, you can write, but you're on thin ice. So like, you know, even as I was writing these intentions out, I was like, I'm probably still going to find a way to work. But if I'm working, I can only do like the dream job work. But of course, that's not happening this year. Because like, I really feel like what you were saying, Brandy, where being out of the physical space makes such a difference. Like I was in Colorado for three weeks this year. And it was just in my childhood home. And I don't particularly like my hometown. But the difference in my mental health doing the same work, but just physically being in a different space is something that I think I took for granted, even when I understood it. So like, there's also that element to all of this. But I also I think something that me and probably a lot of people because I don't want to just make this the brief therapy hour because she fired her therapist and is now taking up Brandy and Christina's time is I think one of the things that's hard is like, finding a way to prioritize non-productive time, even if it's, you know, Buffy time where you're Mm -hmm. kind of secretly being productive. Like, how do you prioritize that in your schedule? And how do you not overcommit to the point where you physically can't take that time? I have committed to enough things that in order to do them to the like capacity that they deserve to be completed because other people depend on me, like I'm not filling out spreadsheets for any of my jobs. You know, I'm a teacher in three of my jobs. I'm an educator kind of in the other job and like consultant person. And I am a full co-host of this podcast and another. So, you know, I've gotten to the point where with those things, I can't cut corners. You know, how, how do you in those moments justify, I'm going to take, a day to not do anything and then also not secretly feel bad the whole day. You know, how do you guys get to that space where you're like, this hour is mine. 
It is mine. Fuck everyone else. Fuck me even. This is my time. I will not feel bad. I will not, you know, compromise on it. Like, how do you carve that out for yourself? For me, it has taken a while because I'm a mom. And so I tend to have the mom guilt. (laughs) But (laughs) I have realized that it's necessary for me to be my best self, for me to not be miserable or snappy or um, like I saw this thing that said, true self-care is building a life you don't need to escape from. And that Mm. hit so hard because I I was all trying to do all kinds of things to escape when things felt overwhelming. And so for me, that's the only justification I need is that I need this. I Mm -hmm. need this time. And for me, whether that's meditating or dancing or going on a walk or whatever the thing is that I'm trying to do, watching Schitt's Creek, whatever it is, I need this time to feel good. That's the only justification I need. The work will still be there. The work is going to always be there. There's very few people have jobs where like when they finish their to-do list, they don't have a whole bunch of things that come back up. Mm -hmm. Maybe that exists somewhere. I've never had one of those jobs. (laughs) So like it's going to always be there. Take the time. Mm -hmm. You need it. And you do deserve it. You're human. Humans need rest. Like even if you don't believe in like the spiritual principles of Sabbath, the physical principle is that you need rest. You need rest. Mm-hmm. That's why if you're going to work six days, take a day to rest. However you want to get it in, you need that. Even the people around you, your coworkers, your friends, your loved ones, your kids, they will benefit from you getting that rest. Yeah. It usually starts there with me where I like, because I'm a perpetual overthinker. And so I kind of just like overthink myself to the point of realizing that there's no consequences. Like what are the stakes in my life? I, I <laughs> do, you know, like what balls am I really gonna drop? I think Brie, like for you in particular, because you also don't have kids, you have sort of similar stakes as I do where it's like, what's really the consequence here? Like maybe you lose one of those jobs but like what's the consequence of that you have four others you know so it's it's really like talking (laughs) for me anyway talking myself through the reality of like where is this pressure actually coming from and what are the real consequences here of me just taking time for myself because as brandy said as someone who makes so many to-do lists (laughs) I know that it's never ending. I'm never going to cross off the last thing. I'm always going to be adding something else to it. Oh, God. I hate that. I hate that for us. <laughs> Truly. I do think that, like, putting aside that I'm me and this is just, like, what I am like because I was raised in, like, a libertarian household <laughs> where capitalism is king, but also weed is okay. I also do think that there is an aspect of the financial reality of it where there isn't a comparable to my knowledge full-time stable gig that is enough within the entertainment industry that you are still making progress towards like the job you actually want so you know inherently even if you're working in the industry you are probably working like part-time gigs or like a not perfect gig with another Mm -hmm. side hustle on the Mm -hmm. side and I have now twice been in a position in jobs like that where even though I am doing a great job I just stopped making income. So like MTV didn't pick up my contract when I was working for them as an associate producer, getting paid more money than I'd ever been paid in my entire life right out of grad school. And I was kind of shit out of luck for several months until I managed to piecemeal together some like full-time work. But like my savings that I had been really on top of, even though I felt really stable, 
kept me afloat for a couple of months. And then it again happened in 2019, where the startup that I was working for hadn't raised its round in time and straight up ran out of money. And for a little while, I was expected to keep working because, oh, it's coming soon. And luckily, I have, I got the, the job at Seed&Spark to compensate and kind of move over. But in two separate times of my life, money has just not been there anymore. And so I think I'm doing that sort of like psychological hoarding, but instead of psychologically hoarding things, I am also job hoarding Mm. (laughs) because I'm so scared that if one thing falls through, which, you know, everything does, even if I was in like Brandy's position, like Brandy said, you're only in a writer's room, even if you get that coveted job for a handful of weeks and then you're done. And unless you have something else lined up, what are you going to do? And so... That's also where a lot of this comes from, is that I say yes to everything, because sure, I'm overworked right now, but what if tomorrow all of them go away? I'll at least have the money, right? Right. And it's hard to break yourself out of the sort of survival instinct of that. Like, how do you reckon with that, especially as both of you have recently taken huge leaps of faith to leave your full-time or semi-stable part-time gig? Well, I think you have to also not put the pressure on yourself to do it all at once. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to leave my day job a year ago and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was ready, but I didn't do it. <laughs> so take it one day at a time, one small step at a time. You don't have to quit all your jobs at once. But if you can start to become a little more mindful of when you are saying yes to things out of fear or obligation versus out of actually want, <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. it's like anything else, it's a muscle that you develop. And the more you do it, the easier it gets, you know, not learning to say no and disappoint others rather than disappointing yourself when you have to do the thing you really didn't want to do, but you said yes to anyway. Mm-hmm. When you start to do that more and more, and then the thing comes around that you said no to and you don't have to do it. Oh, it's such a good feeling. It's like, I'm so glad I said no. So glad I said no, because now I don't have to be there. I don't have to do that thing. And, and then when you start to feel that, you're like, oh, this does work. Actually listening to that voice inside my gut and honoring myself and my authenticity and who I am and what I actually want, oh, it, it, it feels fantastic. So I would say start small. And the more you do it, the easier it'll get. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I spent two and a half years saying I wanted to quit my job before I finally <laughs> did it. So it is a journey for sure. And I think it is incremental. Something that I did specifically with Seed and Spark, because I was kind of like, For me, it's always like, what is the minimum I need to make to just like be okay in life and also Mm -hmm. enjoy life? Like that's kind of where I land. And that definitely comes from my mom who worked three jobs my whole life and rarely got to enjoy life. But she was always like, you will not work just for survival. I'm working so hard so that you can have a better life and so that you can like enjoy what you do with your life. So that was very instilled in me. And so Seed Spark always felt like sort of kind of best case scenario because for me as, totally. as a filmmaker, I have no interest in doing the assistant route. I really don't want to move to LA. You know, sort of what Brandy was saying, how COVID unexpectedly has created some opportunities. I'm only pursuing some stuff right now simply because they can be through Zoom. I would not be doing so if I had to be moving and kind of living that life where you're just like trying to work your way up the ladder. And so for me, it was like, oh, this job makes more sense for 
giving me the freedom to make the stuff I want to make because at the end of the day it's like making stuff and reaching an audience for me. It's like saying what I want to say and having it connect with people. As I was sort of hating working a full-time job and for like various reasons always wanting to quit, something I started to realize was like, okay, well what can I do I can't just like work less hours necessarily like I can you know the job is the job and it's demanding how it is and whatever but I can definitely say no to other things this is it this is the only thing I'm gonna do that has to do with paying my bills I'm not gonna keep saying yes to other things unless they truly are things I want to do one thing that I did look for with Inseed and Spark was like well how can I make things that I'm already doing kind of lead to it being somewhat on the path of where I want to go creatively. And so one of the things was like, my films would screen at festivals, right? And I would often not be able to afford to go. But because of the job, because that job was all about travel and education, I talked with our boss and was like, here's the thing, I'm gonna be on the circuit with a feature next year, I'm also gonna be on the circuit with a short, like what are your feelings on trying to line up education so that the company funds my way for some of this stuff? Finding opportunities to make my worlds blend better. And so totally, a lot of opportunities I ended up getting, like I got my manager specifically because someone who met me at a festival where I had a film screening, where I also was teaching we had a conversation and she's liked me for the past two years and like out of the blue offered me this opportunity to pursue a staffing position that came with needing to sign a management contract. Really, it's about you understanding that you don't know where an opportunity is going to come from and you don't mm -hmm. know that the job that you're already doing isn't going to be the thing that creates the connections you're looking for mm -hmm. through saying yes to all these other things. So I guess what I think you should focus on is like finding a way to maximize the job, like the one job that you already have instead of saying sure. yes to all of these things. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I think it's a good point for people even outside of my a very specific situation that I have hijacked this conversation to discuss, because I do think that it makes sense to really dial in on the thing that you're currently doing rather than looking everywhere. Because like, you know, it's sort of like the jack of all trades, master of none sort of a situation mm -hmm. where if you're doing a little bit everywhere, but you obviously can't put your full energy into any one thing, then you're definitely not maximizing your potential. You're maximizing like your touch points potentially in a lot of different places, but you're not maximizing your own ability to bring your full self to each of those things, right. which might end up making it harder to make connections because then you're only like a quarter of a person to everyone that you're meeting in all of these different places. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Because um, I, I will say a day job again is very good for the financial security but if you get to a point where it's taking up so much of your mental bandwidth that mm -hmm. you can't ever work on your art it's time to find a new day job or have a conversation with your boss to change the parameters of said day job because that's sometimes that's an option as well totally yeah can i say i never wrote more than when i worked at a coffee shop from 5 a.m to 2 p.m and then i immediately went to a different coffee shop closer to home or a bar depending on how i was feeling that day writing for a couple of hours and then going home yeah truly have never been as productive <laughs> mm -hmm. in my life it is wild that, that's yeah that's that's a good point <laughs> if i have to i will be working again back at a bakery it doesn't mm -hmm. pay good but you know it's easy it gives me joy and mm -hmm. you don't have to think <laughs> you do the work you totally. go home and then you can do your real work 
Yeah, I ended up like writing at those jobs because, you know, I had the freedom. But let's take, I think, the biggest step back that we've taken so far, because something that kind of came out of both of you guys talking just now is like this concept of you remember what it was like to enjoy your life and you want to like do more of that, you know, without completely taking away any opportunities for loving your job and your life. And I think something that struck me and has been striking me a lot, especially during 2020, is the fact that I don't know if I've ever enjoyed my life. Certainly not since like college. You know, I've enjoyed moments of my life, but like, I don't know what it's like to not be constantly working. Because even most of my college memories were like, you know, getting to write with people or going to the coffee shop nearby my college and writing. And so I'm curious for both of you, what are things that you are doing that are fully not productive, even if you do some mental gymnastics that you love doing and that make your overall life as human beings better? What are the things that you do just for you? For me, that's dancing. Whether that be like I've started taking an online, a Zoom ballet class, I mean, it was, it was in person before the pandemic, a boxing class, I'll say that. And singing, I started taking voice lessons and I haven't sang in a while. And it's just been, it's just been fun. It's just been another way to like express myself. And then just taking walks around the neighborhood. I I happen to live on a, in a neighborhood with a lot of trees and there are trails behind our house and it's, it's just very grounding. So those are the things that I do. I mean, yes, singing and dancing can be considered industry related, but I'm not doing Mm -hmm. it for auditions. I am just doing it for myself to feed my soul and it feels good and I like it. Yeah, I also do boxing, though I haven't during COVID because I have nowhere to go. But that was something that I was really enjoying and had been doing it all of 2019. And I enjoy baking, though I'm not a baker on the level that Brandy is. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know, like just hanging out with my cats, which sounds silly, but like playing with them is, is something I do for myself. That's great. Yeah. I will say, you know, similar to you, Brie, in terms of enjoying life, like I started working at a very young age um, and was always like I didn't I started working at 12 and always had some sort of job. And I had never we never took like vacations when I was a kid or anything like that. because I never really had money. It wasn't really until my honeymoon. (laughs) We went to Venice and that was six years into our relationship. We didn't even really take vacations together, like occasionally weekends or something. And I was really bad at disconnecting during those times, but we went to Venice and I didn't sign up for an international plan. So I like forced myself to truly, truly unplug. And it was amazing just like Mm. seeing more of the world and actually just like, we're going to go walk to this cafe and just literally sit there and drink a cup of coffee and not be like on my phone and checking emails and whatever. And it was really from that point forward that I was like, oh, I want to actually enjoy life. (laughs) Life can be really just lovely. (laughs) Like obviously like taking a vacation is a privilege and having that experience is a privilege. But for me, like that's a switch that was flipped where I actually experienced what it's like to not live on such a to-do list of and Mm -hmm. needing to feel productive all the time. And And now I really prioritize it because I know what it feels like. And I think it's hard to prioritize it when you don't know what it feels like. Yeah. Yes, 100%. I also, like you, Christina, didn't grow up going on vacations. And even as an adult, I've only taken a couple and they were lovely, but, you know, did not have the money to do so. 
Um, and so I'll say one thing that I now do daily, I start my day off, my morning routine consists of either making a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with like, I have a milk frother, I have a Keurig, so I make it like, it's quality <laughs> and it's delicious <laughs> and it's far cheaper, you know, than going to a cafe every morning. But whether it's the coffee or the tea, it's just, I put a lot of love and thought into it so that when I come sit in my bed or sit on the reading nook and I read in the morning, or maybe I'll meditate with my tea, but whatever I decide to do with my tea, it's like five to 10 minutes of just, this is time for me. I tell my kids, leave me alone till my time is up. <laughs> it's not as lovely as a vacation, but it's still just prioritizing myself at the start of my day. I just started doing that during this pandemic. It's just been really lovely. Having a morning routine is a good piece of advice yes. for people. And something else is that as you guys are talking, something that I always... I now say, but don't feel, but I'm hoping to feel eventually, is that if you are brain sick like me and are constantly cautious about taking time off for yourself, because what if you miss out on the one tweet that will get you a job? Like something else to remember is that you have to have something to write about, especially if you're looking to tell stories. Yeah, yeah. And so if the only thing you know is grind, then that's the only thing you're going to write about. And like, we have so many fucking shows about aspiring writers and yeah. aspiring actors. And like, are you really going to be the one that cracks that nut? because there's been a handful of really good ones and everything else is just the shame show over and over again because none of us do anything different. And I think that that's also a case to be made for living outside the bubble is like, sure, it's harder to, you know, have those chance meetings and like the networking that used to happen, but especially in COVID, embrace the fact that you're outside of the bubble and that you have literally anything to think about or say. Listen, that is so key. Um, There are so many scripts about that. And I will even say the my latest TV script is about an aspiring writer and I'm re-breaking it because, well, first of all, even though she's an aspiring writer, it originally was about, really about her being fed up with the patriarchy. <laughs> and, sure. you know, just being, ugh, it, it was called How to Not Punch a Guy in the Dick. <laughs> but over COVID, I've realized that I need to re-break it so that, yes, she's an aspiring writer, but the bigger thing is what is she saying with her work? And so, yes, there's still her being fed up with the patriarchy, but over COVID, I've also realized how completely fed up I am with white feminism as well. And so mm-hmm. now I have to change the title because now it's it's not just about not punching a guy in the dick. Now it's really about this black woman who is equally frustrated with men and their patriarchal bullshit and white women who who just have too many damn blind spots to recognize their own white feminism and how Mm. both of those impact this writer's life and her work. And so I will say if you are stuck on someone being a writer or an actor, you really need to be very specific about what you're trying to say and hone Mm -hmm. the hell in on that. Because I was trying to make her be another occupation because I know we have so many scripts like this, but this is the one that it, it makes sense for this. But now I know I just have to be super ultra specific. So I've started rebreaking that and I'm very excited and we'll see what happens when I'm done. I'm excited too. Maybe how to not punch a guy in the dick can just be an episode title instead of the whole show title because <laughs> yes, you can't lose that great. entirely. Yes, that's, that's a very good point. Very good point. I love that. You're not killing your darlings. You're just setting them aside for now and you will pick them up later. <laughs> At a later time. That's great. 
So we should probably start wrapping this conversation up. So my final prompts for the the end of this episode first is to kind of boil down this very long winding conversation that we've been having. Um, what would you guys consider like your work life balance tips? Because that's that's sort of the buzzwordy, clickbaity kind of thing that we're talking about at the end of the day, just like lightning round. Great, because I only have two things because <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out myself. The first one, which I mentioned a moment ago, was developing a morning routine that is just about you. And so for me, that's drinking my tea and doing some sort of meditation or affirmations and a quick, it could be 30 seconds, it could be five minutes that I call my morning move just to get me in my body. So that's my daily thing. Then the other thing that I do is I schedule (laughs) self-care. I wasn't scheduling a lot of it while I was working because I didn't have the time. Now that I'm unemployed, I've been looking for like, ooh, my birthday's coming up. So I think I'm going to get a hotel room just for me. My husband, I told him he could come visit me, but he can't stay the night. (laughs) My kids cannot come visit me. and I am just going to get a room or Airbnb (laughs) just to be with myself and just be with my thoughts. So scheduling self-care, whether that's once a quarter, once every six months, because your to-do list, like I said, is always going to be there. So you really have to like, prioritize and for me the only way I prioritize things is by putting it on my schedule Mm -hmm. same yeah that's what I got (laughs) Brandy do you do your morning routine even on weekends when you're not technically working great question and no I don't I do still drink Hmm. my tea but um, my morning routine is drinking either my tea or coffee and I come back into bed and I open my notebook and I write my to-do list for the day and so that is the part that I don't do on the weekends. I still drink my tea, sit in my bed, and sometimes I meditate. Sometimes I just go to binge watching. But the tea is every day. <laughs> tea or coffee is every morning. But the to-do list is only Monday through Friday because otherwise my weekend does not feel like a weekend and I need my weekends mm. to feel different. I think totally that, like carving out space and setting those boundaries. But the one thing that I will add is what we just talked about, which is just sort of reminding yourself always that your life is your work and like everything is copy right so like you need to Mm -hmm. you need to have experiences to pull from you need things to inspire you you need to take a walk and like hear funny lines of dialogue from overhearing conversations you know like all of that needs to happen in order for you to be a good writer or good at telling stories because otherwise you're just you're just like exactly what you just said, making making content about someone trying to make content. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, that's an excellent quote, making content about someone trying to make content. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. And it's like, it's honestly, genuinely, I feel like it's a cry for help. Anytime I see yet another web series about like four white female actresses living in LA and having like adulting issues, you know, this is no tea, no shade. I feel so scared for you all. And like, I know that I am that person too. (laughs) So, you know, it's fine. Write that script. And then, hey, maybe just like, don't make it or like do it for like a reel, but don't waste the time and energy (laughs) writing press releases for that thing unless you're doing a super specific high level thing because yeah it's it's a manifestation of our capitalism brain sickness and not a true manifestation of the best story that you have to tell I promise you okay um Christina any other work-life balance tips that you want to throw out before we uh you go ahead maybe something will come up but no oh I have nothing I'm just this this is a purely (laughs) selfish exercise so that I can learn what the hell to do I do my mom is always harping on me about having a morning routine too my mom has like a really concrete morning routine she seems well adjusted even though I 
can't imagine anyone being well adjusted this year. So who knows? Maybe I'll try that. I, I used to do that. And then I fell out of the habit. And then I was like, I'm fine. I bucked it. Like I rebelled against them for so long. And mm-hmm. it was because I kept getting the advice that like, you have to wake up earlier. It has to be this certain way. And once I heard this creative, I think she might have been a musician, speak about how like, as a creative, your morning routine may change with the different seasons. And mm-hmm. that is okay, depending on what you're working on. You have to find a morning routine that actually works for you and the things that you want to do. So for me, it was like, I need something that, that addresses my spiritual needs in the morning, something that addresses my mental needs, um, and something that addresses my physical needs. And so that's why I might do meditation or prayer. Um, I'm drinking my coffee and I'm doing some sort of morning move to stretch or yoga or whatever the case may be. And and that's how I get sort of centered to start my day. But, uh, you know, the, the ones that said that I had to wake up at 530 in the morning, like I'm not a, I'm sure. not a morning person. And so you got to figure out what works for you. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the one yeah. The one thing I'll add, I guess, is maybe – having someone who is sort of like an accountability buddy, but for self-care. So like instead of reminding <laughs> you to write or checking in if you, you know, m- completed your pages or whatever, it's someone who's just like, hey, have you like taken a break today? Or have you... I love that. You know, <laughs> I think that finding someone you can maybe partner with on that, uh, who maybe needs that too, could be helpful. Uh, so then final kind of uh, end of conversation prompt that I want to give us is because this episode is coming out in January. So you guys are listening to this. It's, it might sound weird that I'm saying this episode is coming out in January. We're recording this in November. Everybody relax. Podcasts do this. Um <laughs> Probably people are struggling with the concept of New Year's resolutions for a year like 2021 that is unexpected, but still probably going to be much of the same of 2020. So are are you guys going to be making New Year's resolutions? Have you made New Year's resolutions before? Are you thinking about them any differently this year? What's What's your hot takes on the NYR? I am a huge resolutions person. I mean, I don't actually call them that. I was in the whole 19 for 19, 20 for 2020. Mm. But um, (laughs) because so much of my stuff has to do with gatherings and flying and traveling and all that kind of stuff, I just had to abandon that. (laughs) So for 2021, since I'm still pro-safety over any goals or whatnot, I haven't yet decided what my goals are going to be. I definitely know I'm going to have them, but I'm going to pare it down to like 10 or less. And honestly, most of them will probably be about self-care because we lost a grandparent during COVID and we definitely had some other losses. And I do have career goals, but I just really want to focus on like my mental and spiritual and physical well-being for 2021 and everything else will sort of be icing on the cake so we'll see Mm. (laughs) for me I do usually make goals like professional goals and sometimes it's like oh I want to make this short film so that's going to kind of be like the thing I put on my list or I'm going to finish this script or whatever and in 2020 I went to my collaborators for my production company and I was like what do you think about you know putting out our list of goals publicly on social media and like making a blog post because we'll sort of like manifest Mm -hmm. it and then COVID happened and literally we didn't do a single one because we couldn't so for this year going into 2021 I was like well I'm not going to really set my heart on anything professionally because who knows what anything is going to look like but I am a very deadline oriented person so I usually will make a list of like 
festivals because I do have a short that's just hitting the circuit and I also have a feature that I'm just forever trying to like get made and I do revisions on mm-hmm. it every couple of years and so I did make a list of deadlines that I wanted to hit with both of those things where it's like I'm going to submit to a couple of writing things and I'm going to submit to these festivals and that gives me some like framework for what my year might look like assuming mm-hmm the film screens or like if I can actually travel if that happens whatever that's just sort of what I did but I'm, I'm trying to be like non-committal too much on on a production standpoint so I've, I've sort of just decided I'm not making another film as long as COVID is a real um, issue yeah I think I've pretty much established myself in this episode as not the person you take advice from but <laughs> I will say from a new year's resolution standpoint because I'm generally pretty good at them is that I like to set tangible goals even for intangible things so like instead of saying you know be better at mental health this year. I found that those sorts of like resolutions are nothing to me. So I try to set more concrete things. So like write every week. It's not like write 30 minutes every day. Like that's too much. But like there's, I find a happy medium in if you want to do something more, set like a frequency or set like a number you got to reach by the end of the month so that, you know, if you have to cram in the last two days, you can at least get that. And the same for intangible things. So like, hey, take two hours off a week that you're truly not doing anything or, you know, or something like that. I found that that's very helpful to me because otherwise it's like, why haven't you lost 20 pounds yet? You fat cow. Like that's not useful to anyone. And then you just feel worse about yourself. And also the same for what Christina was saying, like I want to write a new feature this year, or I want to make edits on this thing this year, like giving myself tasks that I can go back to whenever I'm feeling listless, like, oh, right. I wanted to accomplish this this year. I do find that grounding, but I try not to make it so constricting that I am making it worse for myself. Like I always start the year like this is going to be the work life balance year. It's going to be great. (laughs) And then I never follow it. But resolutions I'm okay at and hopefully I can live up to them this year. So uh, I know we've been taking a lot of your time, Brandy. Thank you so much for being here. Do you have any final words of wisdom or plugs for where people can follow along your magical journey? Uh This is wonderful. Thank you for having me. I would say you can follow me on either Instagram or Twitter at creativelyb, or you can check out my website if you want to read some of my work or see some of my work. And that is brandytellsstories.com. Brandy is with an I. So thank you. Yeah. And we will, of course, link all of this down in the episode description and on our Substack. So please subscribe to our Substack. We'll put tons of Brandy links in there. Yep. And thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music and Kaylee Brown for our podcast art and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them and Brandy are in our episode description. And remember to subscribe to this podcast and our Substack so that you get notified for all of our new episodes dropping every other Thursday from here on out. And be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes if you haven't already. Next episode, we will be covering film festivals. So be sure to tune in and thanks so much for listening. <laughs>